What's going on, Coastal Community Church? How are you guys doing today? You guys doing good? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad you're joining us this morning. Can you guys help me welcome everybody that's watching online and everybody at our Lighthouse Point location? Come on, let's give it up for them. Man, we love you guys. We're so glad you're joining with us today. And before we dive in, I, I just want to let you know, this Friday night is our She Gathering event. If you're a lady out there, I I'm telling you, this is where you want to be Friday night. Husbands, do yourself a solid and tell your wives, hey, listen, I'll take the kids. I I'll take the family. And, and, and you go to She Gather. I promise you, it will be worth it to you as a husband for your wife to go. She'll be better because of it, which will make your life better. So so grab those invite cards. Make sure you're at our Lighthouse Point location Friday night for an incredible, incredible event. And so I want to encourage you to be, participate with that. Uh, and, and I was thinking this week, you know, we're in a series or we've been in a series over the last couple of weeks. Last week, we had a little bit of a break uh, as Shayla and I were out of town, but we've been in a series called My Joy is My Job. And while we were out of town this, this past week, um, we, we were in Colorado and people kept seeing my last name and my last name is McCormick. If you don't know, it's, it's, I, I've always believed it was an Irish name, but uh, I kept having people come up to me and go, do you know that McCormick is a Scottish name? And I was like, this is so weird. I, I've been told I've been Irish my entire life. Like, and, 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 and people are like, no, 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 that's a Scottish name. And I was like, are you sure? And so I did what any normal person would do. I went to Google to see what Google had to say. Come on. <laughs> is anybody with me? Like Google is the answer for everything. I'm like, is McCormick an Irish name or a Scottish name? And, and so I'm looking it up and, 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 and honestly, Google didn't know. They're like, it could kind of be either. I was like, Google, you're not helping me out here. And so so as I'm looking at uh, my name and trying to figure out where I'm from, because I have ADD, I, is anybody else like me that when you get on Google, you just got to go down rabbit trails like that you never, so I started looking to see like, where is my name from? And then I saw Scottish and then I saw the name William Wallace. And so I started re doing research on William Wallace and it brought me back to when I was 16 years old. Um, and, and, and let me ask this question again, ADD is kicking in here. How many of you guys are people that, that when you're driving and you look at your gas tank, when it gets to about a quarter with amount of gas left, you're like, stop and you, and you put gas in it. Where are those people at? Where are the people that run it all the way down to where the light comes on and you're not really sure how much gas you have? That's... So at 16 years old, uh, I, I had my first car. It was a 1990 uh, LX50 convertible. Mustang, uh, 25th anniversary edition. It was cool as first car you could get at that time at a 16-year-old. And, and, and my friend and I named Chris Hart, we, we went out on a Friday night. We grabbed some dinner, an early dinner, and we were going to go to the movies. And when we got to the movies, the movie that we wanted to see was sold out. And so we looked up and we saw that the, the no, next closest time for a movie starting was this movie called Braveheart. And, and we had no idea what it was. And, and so we thought it was a love story, you know, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm dead serious. We thought, we thought it's a love story. It, it's about eight o'clock. And so we're like, oh man, I, I, it's two dudes. And we go and, and we walk into this theater. Every seat is full except for like two seats on the front of the theater. We had no idea that this movie was like a four hour movie. And uh, 
Come on, if you've ever seen Braveheart, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, it's the longest movie and it starts off, it's kind of a love story. He's in love with this little girl. They end up getting married. She ends up getting murdered. And then he becomes the baddest man on the planet and decides like, I'm gonna liter- liberate the Scottish people from the English empire. And, and for the next three hours, it's just like a killing fest that's awesome if you're a guy. And so we get done with this movie, and my friend Chris and I, we're, we're jacked up. Like we're walking out yelling, freedom! You know, like if you've ever seen Braveheart, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, uh, and so we're pumped up. I get in my car. It's about midnight now in Bradenton, Florida, which means there is not a single thing open. We start driving to my house. This is before cell phones. And, and my car runs out of gas about three miles from our house. But we are so jacked up from the movie, like even gas running out can't hold us down where everybody else would have been mad and disappointed. We get all excited. We're like, yeah. And we get out in our slides because that's all we had on. And we start pushing this Mustang for three miles to my house. (laughs) I looked it up on Google again, random things. I was like, how heavy was that Mustang? It was 2,837 pounds. We pushed that joker for three miles to my house, yelling freedom at midnight the entire world. Freedom! You know, like neighbors are thinking, what in the world is going on? (laughs) Y'all are like, what does this have to do with the sermon? It has absolutely nothing to do with it, okay? I'm just... (laughs) It actually has everything to do with it. Because a lot of times in life, what happens is this, we feel like life has ran out on us and we're stuck and, and we never planned for it. We never thought we were going to be in that position. And what ends up happening in that moment is in those moments, a lot of us, we give up hope and we lose our joy. But I think that God doesn't want us to live our lives based on what's happening around us, but he wants to live our lives with something that's within us, that we have an uncommon joy that we can live with, that in spite of our circumstances, we can still be yelling freedom, we can be pushing a car at midnight, we can make it through the deepest, darkest moments of our lives if we'll have something greater on the inside than what's happening around us on the outside. And I believe that God wants us to realize that my joy, Lighthouse Point, my joy person sitting on their couch that should be in church right now, your joy is your job. Like what's happening inside of you is on you. In fact, I love how God created our physical beings. Like it's amazing to me the the amount of thought he put into creation and how he gave our bodies the ability to compensate for deficiencies. In fact, I was researching on Google again this week. Google got a lot of my time. And I started researching how the human brain works and the development of the human brain. And the majority of the development of the human brain happens before the age of 25. In fact, the most important parts of your development are between the ages of zero and five years old. It's where like about 75% of your brain development happens. And then from from five to about 25 is the other 90 something percent of it. (laughs) But what's interesting is when you start looking at how the brain develops, 
there's one aspect of your brain that develops for the rest of your life. And it's actually, the, they call it the joy center, which is located at the right orbital prefrontal cortex. And it's the only part of your brain that never loses its capacity to grow. Like, think about that for a moment. You're predominantly developed except for one aspect of your brain's capacity, and it's the capacity for joy to continue to be developed and strengthened in your life. And, and what it's telling me is that having enough joy strength or enough joy capacity is fundamental to you and I's well-being in life. Like it actually has executive control over the entire emotional system of our lives. And the joy center, when it's sufficiently developed, it regulates our emotions, it regulates our pain control, it regulates our immunity centers, it guides us to act and it releases a serotonin and it releases the dopamine that makes us feel good. In fact, it's the only section of the brain that can override the four massive like, desires that are within all of us. They actually say they're our main drives in life. One of those is food. Some of y'all are like, that's your main drive in life. For every guy, it's sexual impulses, terror, and rage. It's the only part of the brain that overrides those. Which tells me that when God designed us, he put some intentionality into it, into the idea that joy was going to be central to what we needed to survive this life. That's why in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, it says, do not grieve. Like, don't worry about what's happened around you, for the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Like God actually wants to strengthen us in our joy center and it comes from him and him alone. And here's the deal. God wants you and I to enjoy this life. And the reason he wants us to enjoy it is because he knew it would be tough, but he wanted to give us something that would strengthen us in the midst of that toughness. That's why in Psalm 16, verse 11, he says, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. He wants to give us the path to life. And, and when we follow that path of life, here's what he's going to do. He's going to fill us with joy when we get in his presence. It's about this idea of knowing God and knowing God intimately. So my question for us today, church, is this, is why is it that so many people lose their joy? Because a lot of us, what happens is when we get to know God, there is a lot of joy in our lives initially, but as time goes by, it seems like a lot of us, we've sprung a leak. And maybe not just one or two, but lots of leaks. And, and all of a sudden, like the joy that we once had is being drained from us. It feels like the joy is getting sucked right out of us. And I mean, so many people that are just stumbling and mumbling their way through life. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been studying 
the book of Philippians, and it's a book written by the Apostle Paul. And throughout this book, 16 times, he, he encourages the Philippian people to, to have joy or to rejoice in it. And you would think that Paul is, is writing this book from the Caribbean beach, sitting there drinking a Mai Tai, but he's not. He's actually writing this book while he's in prison in Rome, chained to a soldier, awaiting his execution. And so Paul has some things to give us. He's, he's going, I have some uncommon joy in my life that I want to in, impart into you. And so we're going to dive into chapter 3 today. And it says this, starting in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. It says, finally, my brothers, which is funny because he's only like halfway through the book. Like he's not even finished yet, but he's going finally. Rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. It is a safeguard for you. He goes like, hey, in, in conclusion here of, of my writing, here's what I want to do is I want to give you a safeguard and I want to give you a principle. I want to give you some things that are going to help you, that are going to protect you, that are going to be, be some, some, some barriers for you not to lose your joy. And then I want to give you a principle that will change your life. And so he, he says he's going to go on to give us three things that he's going to want us to watch out for that have the tendency to suck the joy out of our lives. If you're taking notes today, the first one is this. He says, hey, listen. Listen, watch out for negative people. Watch out for negative people. Anybody ever encountered a negative person? Anybody sitting next to a negative person? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> this is what he says in verse 2. He says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Like, I've just learned that nothing will ruin your day faster than getting around some negative people. Like, that you can walk in with a ton of joy and a ton of life. You get around negative Nancy, and man, she just, she's like, all of the joy, all the oxygen in the room just went out with her. And here's what I know about all of us is there are people around all of us that are pulling us down rather than building us up. And the people that are constantly pulling us down to their negativity and to their, their, their despair, they, they have a tendency to rob us of joy. Because we, we all can think right now that like of those people that like every time you get around them, you always feel worse after you encounter them. It makes me ask the question, like, why do we continue engaging in those relationships? Why do we continue to submit ourselves to them? Some of you are like, because I'm married to them. Well, then, okay, then that's a good reason. <laughs> but some of us, we keep putting ourselves in relational turmoil because of the people that are around us aren't building us up. They're actually tearing us down. And they're pulling us down. And let's be honest, unfortunately, a lot of these people happen to fall within the church. I don't know if you've ever met anybody negative at church. I have. In fact, I'll never forget, I, I, as a kid, um, I got kicked out of uh, kindergarten, and I got kicked out of elementary school. Um, I, was, I, was, I was not the, the best student. That's a nice way of saying it. Uh, and, and at the third grade, my parents found only one school that would take me. It was the Christian school. 
So many of you parents think, well, I'm going to put my kid in a Christian school. They're going to be in a good environment. No, no, no. That's where they sent the kids like me. Because <laughs> if you're the Christian school, you've got to take me, right? You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. You're, you're supposed to be kind to others and all that stuff. So, so they got stuck with me. And I remember going to Christian school in third grade. They had classes that I'd never heard of before, like Bible class. I was like, what is this? I'll never forget my third grade teacher was about 78 years old. She was the meanest woman I've ever met to this day. And I remember my first Bible class, they started off Bible class by singing songs and she started off, I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. And then I would go, where? <laughs> down in my heart, where? Like, like, you know, it's supposed to be where, you know, but it, for me, it was actually a question because like she didn't have any joy. You guys remember that song if you grew up in it? Like, I got the peace that passes under. No, no, no. And here's what I know there's some people that are out there, it's like their mission in life to destroy your life. And I just can't handle it. I can't be, be around negative people. And Paul warned that there's gonna be people in your life that are gonna to try to derail your life. That's why in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, he says, You were running a good race. And then he says, This, who cut in on you? Like, who are the people that are cutting in on you and sucking the joy out of your life? Maybe it's time to cut them out of your life and, and create a safeguard. Here's the second one that he says. He says, hey, don't, don't just watch out for negative people. Watch out for legalism. Just watch out for legalism. Watch out when, when you start getting involved in performance-based Christianity. It will rob you of your joy. In fact, a lot of Paul's writings addresses this issue. And, and, and right here in, in the Bible days, there was this group of people called the Judaizers who every time Paul would go and plant a church and that church would start to grow and it would start to thrive, they would come in and they would go, hey, it's great that you accepted Jesus. Now we need you to take on the 613 uh, laws of Moses that we, they were the pharisaical laws. And so they would go, Hey, it's great that you've got Jesus. And just listen, Jesus narrowed down all the laws to do. He said, love the Lord, your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do these two things, you'll fulfill the law. And, 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 and that was Jesus. It, like, so he broke it down and made it really simple. The Judaizers would come in and go, no, 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 you got to do what Jesus said, but then you got to do all these other things on top of that. And the women were all okay with it because one of those laws for the gods was is that you had to get circumcised. And every dude was like, peace out, Jesus, I love you, but I'm not doing it. <laughs> because they were heaping all this religion and all of these rules on the people. And I think that there's a constant tension in our world today and in us as individuals that, that in, it's this tension between internal transformation and, and also having like these, these external forces around us trying to control our sinful behavior. Because the reality is, is that we are all born sinners. Like my nature is to sin. Your nature is to sin, no matter how sweet you are. And so what happens is because our nature is to sin, we wanna, we wanna put up all of these boundaries so that we don't do that. 
And I'm not saying boundaries are bad. I actually encourage boundaries in your life. But a lot of us, what we're doing is we're setting up boundary after boundary after boundary, not just for ourselves, but for other people. And Jesus didn't come to have behavior modification. He came to have transformation of the heart. And a lot of us, what we're trying to do is we're trying to modify our behavior with rules and religion. And Jesus was never about rules and religion. He was about a relationship. He's like, you experience me and you'll change. Now you change and then you can experience me. And what happens for a lot of us is what we do is we go, you know what, what, you need to do this and you need to do that. And and when we start heaping rules on people in life, what it does is it begins to suck our joy because the moment that we do that, all of a sudden we start doing these things to try to stay within the boundaries of that. And when we can't do it, it produces guilt in our life or shame. Shame in our life because we're not good enough, we can't achieve enough, and that's never what God wanted to put on our lives. In fact, what God wants to do is he wants to use the Holy Spirit to convict us, and conviction is way different than shame. Because here's what I know is that, that when I, I, I do those things and the Holy Spirit comes into my life and convicts me, it changes me forever. But when you put rules on me and I can't live up to those, then I feel shame because I can't do it, and then I just walk away from it all. That's why he says in, in, in verse 3, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, we put no confidence in the flesh. He's saying, I'm not putting my confidence in, in the parameters I can do. I'm putting my confidence in God. See, it's, it's not about a physical thing. It's about a personal relation. It's about a spiritual thing that's happening inside of you. And we've got to get this inside of us if we're going to grab hold of it because it's a spiritual thing. He says the third thing here is what we need to watch out for is we need to watch out for the substitute. We need to watch out for the substitute. You're like, what does that mean? It means this. Whatever God makes is good, Satan always comes and tries to counterfeit it. So whatever is good, there's always a counterfeit to it. It's like you go to New York City and you walk in to the Louis Vuitton store and it's amazing. You see all this good stuff and you walk out and there's some guy with a towel on the ground selling Louis Vuitton. (laughs) It's a substitute, right? It looks good, it feels good, but it's not actually the real thing. That's why it says in verse four, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. He goes, man, I've tried it. The enemy will always try to trick us into thinking that we can find happiness in things. And you know it's true. You think that if I get that thing in my life, it will bring me joy. You think, man, if I, if I just go to that school, if I just get that education, if I just get that job, if I live in that neighborhood or I own that house or I drive that car or, or I have this amount of money, then I'll have joy in my life. And no, no, no. what you find is that you have happiness But that happiness, as soon as you get it, you know, like 10 days later, it just doesn't bring you the same amount of happiness that it once did. Like that first day you were like, oh, by day 10, you're like, I'm not even going to wash that car. So how do we maintain our joy? Like, how do we maintain our joy with all these 
external circumstances around us. What's interesting is, is that science is just figuring out what the Bible has already said. That's what I love about it. I actually read it as I was reading about all the brain stuff. This is their conclusion. They said, here's the thing, 50% of our biology is set, like it's genetics. How we, how we perceive the world is set. 10% of how we respond and how we act is actually circumstantial, but 40% are our habits. It's what we choose to do. So when it comes to joy in our life, a lot of it has to come down to what we choose to do. And so Paul gives us some principles here that I think we need to grab hold of. Number one, if you're taking notes, is this, is that you got to keep on knowing. you got to keep on knowing. Philippians 3.8, it says, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing who? Come on, it's not a trick question. It's up there on the screen. Knowing who? Christ Jesus. Greatness. The, knowing Christ Jesus, for whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. That word knowing there is, is the same word that was used when God created Adam and Eve and said God, Adam knew his wife Eve. It's the, it's the Hebrew word yada. That knowing is the deepest intimacy possible. He says, man, here's what I want you to know. I, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing. Having this intimate relationship with God. In verse 10, he says, I want to know. I want to have intimacy with Christ and the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. What's interesting in America right now is we're seeing revival start to pop up all over these college campuses right now. If you're not paying any attention, Asbury has popped up and revival's happening there. Uh, at, at other Christian universities, revival's happening there. Actually, at secular universities all over the United States right now, students are just gathering together and, and with, with no lights, no music, no LED screens, no cool pastors with, with leather jackets on, no, no worship leaders with skinny jeans and thin little mustaches and, 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 and weighs 30 pounds. Like None of that is taking place. Like there is just this hunger and desire from the next generation to know God. Like they're just hungry. Like I just want to know, I just want to be in God's presence. And I think there's something about the longer we've been around God, the less we desire his presence. And it's time for some of us to, to if we want to experience joy in our life, we have to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus actually said in Matthew 6, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, here's what will happen. They shall be filled. Some of you are empty right now because you're not hungering and thirsting after the presence of God because you're going, God, I just want to know you more. I want more of you and less of me. And how do you know God? It's the same way you know somebody else. You actually have to spend time with them and then talk to them. But most of us, we've forgotten how to do that. We go out to dinner with our spouse and we're like, yeah, I'll order a cheeseburger. I know it's true because I, I, I've seen you all at restaurants. <laughs> While we're having conversation going, look at those people. They're not even talking to each other. 
We're actually talking about you. We're judging you. We are. We 100% judged you right there. And I can because the Bible says I can judge other Christians. Just saying. Read it. Sometime you might find that out. But you don't actually know each other. That's why at year two, year seven, and year 25, people get divorced. Because they forgot to keep knowing. And God says, you want to be filled with joy? You're going to keep on knowing. Number two, don't stop growing. These are all rhyme. I like rhyming. Here's what will bring you joy on this earth. It's going to be you growing. Listen, the, the two most important days in your life are the, the day you're born and the day you discover why. You've got to keep on growing and pursuing all that God has for us. I heard this this guy said this this past week. He says, the day we are born, we look like our parents. But the day we die, we look like our decisions. What do you want to look like? What decisions are you making right now to grow in your life? Philippians 3 verse 12, it says, Not that I've already attained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul right here reveals the, the secret of joy, and it's this word purpose. It's about who are you becoming, who God created you to make. And here's the great revelation for all of us. Here's what you need to know. All of us are going to have problems. But here's the revelation. How you overcome the problem that you're going through is by having something bigger in life than your problem, which is your purpose. And the reason so many of us struggle in the middle of problems and lose our joy is because we had no great purpose. And if you're going, well, I don't even know how to discover my purpose. Here's what I would tell you to do. Go to next steps. We want to help you discover your purpose. Part of that is is us helping you discover how God created you and made you and gifted you to make a difference in other people's lives. In fact, I say it like this. Your life will never make sense until you discover your purpose. And here's what I know about every single one of our purposes is always to serve somebody else, not just ourselves. And if you think life is all about you, you will never discover purpose. It's how I I face the biggest problems because I've got a purpose that's so much bigger than my problem that I'm facing today. And that problem doesn't even compare to my potential. So I'm going to keep on growing to maximize that potential because that's what God has called me to do. And check it out. You can even enjoy the process of growing. James chapter 1 says it like this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. None of us are really going, I consider this pure joy. When life is kind of sucking, like I'm not like, yes, opportunity for joy. But he says, you need to consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work. What's he saying? He's saying, you don't stop growing so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So here's what we have to do. We have to keep on knowing, don't stop growing. And number three, 
know where you're going. You've got to know where you're going. And we talked about this a little bit on the first week, but a lot of us, we struggle here on earth because we think earth is all that there is for our life. But if you know Jesus, earth is not your home, heaven is. And a lot of us, because we've put all of our stock on this earth, when something goes bad on this earth, we lose our joy immediately. I read, I read a quote by Corey Ten Boom this week that really just kind of gripped me. And if you don't know anything about Corey Ten Boom, um, she was the daughter of a, a, she lived in the Netherlands. She was a daughter of a watchmaker. And during the Second World War, when Nazi Germany was taking all over Europe, uh, after they invaded the Netherlands, she and her father and her older sister began to, because they were Christians, they believed that the, the Jewish people were God's chosen people and they had an obligation to save them. And they built a false wall in her bedroom and would hide Jewish people in there and then create the underground exit for them to get out of the Netherlands so they could be in safety. They were able to rescue about 800 Jewish people during that time. And, and during that time, the Gestapo would come and, and search their home continuously looking for Jewish people to take and put them in concentration camps. And eventually, somebody ratted out their family. And she, her father, and her older sister were put into a concentration camp. Within 10 days of being there, her father passed away. Over this next six to nine months, her sister passed away. In a difficult, difficult moment, she wrote in her book, she says, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit and you trust the engineer. And here's what you need to get, church. Some of you, you're going through a dark tunnel right now. You're going through a difficult moment. And it's so easy with all the mental health issues and the depression that's so rampant in our society to go, well, I'm just going to throw away my ticket. I'm going to jump off. But our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in a world that is greater than this. And so in those moments that we're struggling, in those moments that it's difficult, in those moments that it's overwhelming, when it's dark and it seems so clouded and you can't see where your front and your back is, where your left and where your right is, in those moments, you don't give up hope. You trust the engineer that he's going to see you through. You hold on to hope because you're not a citizen of this world. You're actually a citizen of heaven. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, he says, but our citizenship, it's not in America. He says our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul understood that we can't get. When our hope is in heaven, we can't be defeated here. And some of us, we need to get our hope into where we're going, not where we're at which means that we gotta get some vision for the future, a hope for tomorrow, so that we can move past the suck of today with joy, because my joy, it's my job.
And God wants to fill you with some joy today. First Peter 1, 3 says, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. God's keeping something for you. The question is, is will you keep hope? Will you keep joy in spite of the circumstances? Because this earth is not our home. Heaven is. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me? God, we thank you so much that we don't have to put all of our stock in this world, but there is a hope that is greater than this world in and of itself, and it's the hope of eternity because of a relationship with you. Because of your great love for us, you gave the greatest gift you could ever give, the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, that all of us who put our trust in you will be filled with joy unconceivable. And we'll have the hope for all of eternity. And here's what I know. Maybe there's some of you that are out there today that are watching online, that are right there in my house point. You don't have that hope. You don't have that security. You don't have that assurance that if you were to die today of where you would spend eternity, I want to I let you know that you can have that assurance. You can have that hope today. It begins with you surrendering your will and your way to the ultimate gift of God. For God so loved you that he gave the greatest gift he could ever give, the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. That none of us should perish, that none of us should be without hope, that none of us should be without joy, but that we can all experience it by surrendering our life to him. And if that's you here today with every head bowed and every eye closed, if, you, if you'd like to begin that relationship, I'm not talking about rules or religion, I'm talking about a relationship with a God that loves you so much that he wants to know you and he wants to grow you and he wants to give you a hope and, and let you know where you are going in life. If that's you, I'd love to pray a simple yet sim, uh, an easy yet simplistic prayer that changes everything for everybody. If that's you on the count of three, if you just slip your hands up, one, two, three, go ahead and slip those hands up. Yes, I see you. Thank you. Anybody else? Lighthouse Point. If you'll just pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it out loud and say, God, thank you so much for giving the incredible gift of your son, Jesus Christ. God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Change my yesterday. Transform my today. And, and, and give me my hope for tomorrow. I surrender my will. I surrender my way. Come into my heart and take over. Fill me with your love and your joy and your peace and your patience, your kindness and your goodness and your mercy. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. And thank you for helping me spend eternity with you. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. And everybody said, amen.